The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Martin. I serve as a youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege uh, to welcome you to our service this morning. It's so good to see you all. And uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Romans, so please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And as we have made our way through chapters 1 through 11 over the past uh, few months, uh, we have seen the incredible mercy of God. And uh, what we're going to see here in chapter 12 is how God's mercies shown to us through Jesus makes an incredible difference in our lives. So with that, let's, let's read together Romans uh, chapter one, or Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ." and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for giving us your word. And we ask uh, that as, as your word is proclaimed this morning, Father, may, may your mercy sink deeply into our hearts. And may you use those uh, to make a difference in our lives as we follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I recently read the story, the true story, of two young men who were on their way back to college. And as they were driving back, uh, they, they noticed a hitchhiker uh, standing alongside the road. And so they stopped and they, they picked this man up and they were giving him a ride. And as they uh, continued driving along, they learned that this man's name was George. And as they learned more about George's life, uh, they came to learn that he was without a job and he was without a home. So they, they make it back to campus. George is still with them and wanting to show him kindness, uh, they went to the college and they arranged for him to be able to stay in their dorm uh, for a period of time. And they also arranged for him to have a meal ticket uh, in the local uh, college uh, cafeteria. Uh, wonderful things they were trying to do for this man. And um, in response to their kindness, uh, two days later, George stole $150 from them. Uh, he hijacked the car of one of their friends and he disappeared. Now, I imagine we could get into some debates over you know, the methods they use in seeking to show kindness, but I think we can agree on two things. Thing number one, it is good to show mercy and kindness to people. Thing number two, the way George responded was pretty messed up. And we can say that it was, it was pretty messed up because after receiving this kindness, he, he responded as though it had made no positive difference in their relationship. 
And this is something I know that we can all relate to because we, we have all experienced in our own lives or we have heard from the lives of others situations where people have responded in similar ways. There's been a parent or a child, a coworker, a teammate, or, or some other neighbor who, after being shown mercy and, and kindness, has turned around and acted as though it didn't make any difference in the relationship. And while these are, these are hard things to bear, what we have to recognize is that that actually reflects how we often respond to God in our own lives. You see, what is true when we look at our own lives as Christians, we often act like God's mercies have made no difference in how we relate to him. Uh, we receive God's grace and forgiveness for our sins through Jesus, yet we often rush headlong back into old sin patterns. We delight in the humble way in which Jesus has served us, but then we often dig in our own heels when, when called upon to serve other people. We often act like God's mercies have made no difference in the way we relate to him. Now, one thing I've been trying to, to help drive into the minds of our students is that context is incredibly important. And so when we read Romans as a whole, we know from Romans 7 that Christians, we are going to struggle with sin. That It is a true thing. We're going to continue struggling with sin in this life. And Romans 8 provided us with great comfort that whoever is trusting in Jesus, that those sins, past, present, and future, those have been forgiven. We find great comfort in that. And the Bible also teaches that the same mercy, the same mercy we have received through Jesus is meant to move us towards increasing obedience to God. That is also true. And that, that friends, is the central message of the passage this morning. The central message of Romans 12, 1 through 8, is that God intends for the mercy he has shown to us in Jesus to make a difference in how we relate to him. And Romans 12 begins by showing us that. Look with me in verse 1. There it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want, I want you to look at that word, therefore. Look at that word, therefore. This is a simple word that is worth its weight in gold. And the reason for that is by, by using therefore, Paul is basically saying, hey, listen up. Everything I have said up to this point in, the, in, in my letter to you, everything I've said up to this point is leading to what I am about to say. And, and, and he reminds us of everything he has said up to this point by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. So in the neighborhood right behind this church, uh, that's the neighborhood where I live, and one of my favorite places to go in Roanoke is in this neighborhood. If you, if you go up the, the hills and you keep going up till you get to the top, there's a, there's a little lane there called Linda Lane. And I love Linda Lane because when you go up Linda Lane, you can look out over the Roanoke Valley and see a breathtaking, or breathtaking view of our beautiful mountains. And, and just like I could invite you like this afternoon to go up to Linda Lane or after the, you know, after the clouds cleared up, we could go up there together and, and look out over the valley. Paul is inviting us to do a similar thing right here in verse 1. What Paul is inviting us to do is to look back over all that he has written in Romans 1 through Romans 11 and to delight in the breathtaking view of God's mercies, to, to feel our hearts pound with joy as we gasp in wonder at how the greatest mission of mercy in the history of the world unfolds before our eyes in those chapters. To, to see how, how all people have rebelled against God and are guilty of sin. And, and to see that the punishment for the sin is serious. That it is, it is eternal death. And yet, 
and yet to also see God the Father send Jesus, God the Son, who most willingly comes into this world and on the cross dies in the place of his enemies. And who, who also says that whoever believes in him receives mercy, receives forgiveness, receives adoption into the family of God as his precious child. These are the, the mercies that we see told time and time again in Romans chapters 1 through 11 that God has shown through Jesus and it is meant to make a difference in our relationship with God. In other words, we could put it this way, because of God's mercy, we Christians, we dedicate our lives to him. That is what Paul means when he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what he's talking about. He's He's not talking about some morbid or, or like gruesome physical ritual we could perform. Like read the rest of the Bible. It clearly speaks against any notion of that, of that idea. Uh, no, Paul, he's using a metaphor to convey the truth that those who have been loved so greatly by God through Jesus respond to him by loving him in return and by expressing that love through the dedication of our entire lives, the way that he teaches us to obey him in the Bible. And, and just, in case, just in case I haven't made this crystal clear already, please hear this loud and clear. This is not the dedication of someone who is desperately trying to earn God's love and approval. That is not what we are talking about here. The Bible teaches us that there is no number of good things that we could ever do to earn or to merit God's love and forgiveness. No, this is the dedication of someone who knows that God already loves them. The dedication of someone who knows they have already been shown mercy and that nothing can undo that mercy. It's the dedication of someone who, who delights to love God in return by dedicating their whole lives to them, by, by dedicating our physical bodies, every word we speak, every action that we take, so that all of our lives are in alignment with God's will and are in obedience to Him. It's dedicated showing loving obedience to our merciful Father. So, uh, growing up, growing up, I never once ever questioned the love the, that my grandmother has for me. Uh, growing up, I knew without a doubt in my mind that she loved me no matter what. She, she is a woman who has seen me in my worst moments, and she has seen me in my weakest moments. And in every single one of those moments, she has always loved me steadfastly with love and with compassion, and with, with mercy, and with forgiveness. And I'll tell you right now, I am far, far, far from being a perfect grandson. But I, I got to say, growing up, man, I loved to go over to my grandma's house and mow her grass. I loved to do that because, because I loved her, because I delighted to, to serve her in that way. And she'd come over for visits, and I'd, I'd walk her to her car in, in the evening and wait for her to get home and, and call up because, because I love her. Because she had loved me so well, it had, it had shaped my relationship to her. It had changed how I related to her. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to earn her approval. I knew I had that. This was, this was a transforming love in my own life. And y'all, that, that is a picture of the way the Bible motivates us to love God in return. It is a picture of this because as Christians, God has first loved us like my grandma loved me with, a, with an unshakable love. And he has shown this to us in Jesus that there is nothing we ever did to deserve his love and there's nothing we could ever do to lose his love. 
And this mercy is meant to make a difference in how we relate to him. So, so let me ask you a question. What does this look like for you? I mean, like seriously, let's, let's think about it for a second. Like, what are areas in your life where you just find yourself struggling, struggling to dedicate that, that particular part of your life to God? And let me just ask you, what, what would it look like to look back on Romans 1 through 11 and to allow yourself just to, to sink in deeply and, and to rest in the incredible mercy God has shown to you and to allow his rich mercies to sink into our souls and reshape our hearts so that we begin to love him in return more and more. What would that look like? Some of us, though, maybe we need to look at this from another angle. Maybe we need to hear this good news from this angle. Um, maybe you find yourself obeying God. Like You're like, man, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to line my, line, up, line my life up with God because I feel like I need to do it for him to love me. Again, I would ask you, what would it look like to go back through Romans 1 through 11, to go back through the whole Bible and to allow his mercy that he showed to you while, he, while you were his enemy, before you did anything to deserve his love, what would it look like to rest in that and to be free from having to obey out of some sense of guilt and to be able to obey more and more out of delight, out of thanksgiving? What would that look like? Because Y'all, that is, the be- that is the message of the Bible. That is the truth that God gives us, that that is why we obey. And in verse 2, he goes on to describe a, a key aspect of how we dedicate our lives to God. Look with me again in verse 2. There he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in this verse, we're called to two things. We're called to two things in this verse, resistance and transformation. And the first is resistance. He says, we are to resist being conformed to this world. To put it in, a, in a, another way, you could say we're to resist being shaped or molded like Plato or, or clay to match the ways of the world. Now, Paul, he, he's not talking about the goodness of the physical world. He's not talking about good things God created like trees and, and oceans and those sorts of things. He's talking about a way of looking at life. He's talking about a, a worldview of how life, of what the good life looks like. That is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about ways of living and looking at life that are opposed to the ways of God, as explained in the Bible, ways that would actually lead us away from dedicating our lives to God. And, and also here, don't, don't hear what Paul's not saying. He's not making like a hardcore dichotomy here. He's, he's, we're not talking about rejecting everything that is believed or done by people who, who don't believe in Jesus. And we can say this from the Bible because, first of all, we believe that all people are created in God's image. And we also believe that God, by his common grace, is at work in this world. And so there will be many times when we can affirm intellectually and in practice the things that are, are believed and practiced by, by our, our neighbors and friends who don't, who don't believe in Jesus. And there are also things we, we must resist in the thinkings and practicings of the world around us because they are opposed to God's ways in Scripture. Let me give you an example, a very popular one, that if you've ever watched a Disney movie in the last, you know, 20 or so years, like you'll actually hear this theme come out. And I love, I, I like a lot of the Disney movies. But here's a, th- a common theme you'll hear is basically follow your heart. You know, let your heart be the compass and the guide for your life. If you want to know what the good life looks like or who you should be or how you should live, well, look within, and you will find it there. 
And while, while that can sound like a very compelling message, it's actually, it's actually very much at odds with the Bible. Because what God teaches us is that our hearts have been affected by sin. That you couldn't find a worse compass <laughs> for, 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 for navigating life. And it, but it's a subtle thing that it, it's just so normal. We can begin to think, oh yeah, that sounds really good. We'll go with that. But the Bible says, no, don't be, don't be shaped by that. You need to look at things differently because there are going to be things that are not true. So, um, and he goes on to, resi- to, in the second part of this verse, he, he shows us, like, okay, so how do we do that? How do we resist conforming to the world? Look at me with verse 2 one more time. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, that is, that is how we resist being conformed to this world. Our minds are renewed. Our minds are transformed so that our thinking changes, so that we, we understand God's will and, and we begin to believe that it is good and dedicate our lives to him to, to live in accordance with his will. And did you notice the grammar in this verse? Some of you are like, oh no, grammar. Grammar is actually really awesome <laughs> when, you're, when you're reading the Bible. It's very important. Look what it says. It says, be transformed. It's, it's showing us again and again, like I, I can't tell you, like you ever been in one of those rooms where you feel like you're turning around, it's such a small space, you keep bumping into stuff. You can't stop bumping into the grace of God in the Bible. Like everywhere we turn, everything he calls us to, it's like, how am I going to do this? By God's grace. How am I going to do this? By God's grace. And here he's saying, be transformed. He's reminding us, even this is by God's grace. And yet we also see we're called to participate in that. We can cooperate in the work that he calls us to. Um, every, every few years, it seems that a new movie uh, is made about the United States Secret Service. You've probably seen movies like this where there's like a Secret Service agent, they go in, they save the day, and from these movies and from the news, we, we all are very familiar that with the mission of the Secret Service to protect the life of the President of the United States. That's something we all know. But what may not be as commonly known is that the Secret Service also has another very vital mission, and that is to, uh, to detect and also um, resist uh, counterfeit money. That's another key mission that the United States Secret Service is tasked with, and it's very important because we know that counterfeit money, fake money, uh, can be detrimental uh, to a society. It's very bad for the economy, and that ripples out into all other kinds of bad ways. And so part of the U.S. Secret Service's training is that they are trained in how to detect counterfeit money. And they need this training because none of us can just walk in and be like, fake, good, no good, that's a good one. Like, it's very hard to detect counterfeit money. And so they need this training in how to do it well. And y'all, that is one of the ways that we can actually cooperate in God transforming and renewing his mind. Like the U.S. Secret Service goes through this training, we can actually participate by actively training our minds to, to spot the world's counterfeit ways of looking at and living life. Uh, of learning to spot subtle yet popular mindsets that masquerade as good things uh, but they're actually opposed to Scripture and, and will leave us empty and bankrupt. And, and the way we can do this, a practical way we can do this, is to, to pour over the Bible. I mean, this might sound like a, a pretty cliche answer, but, but seriously, pray and read the Bible. But not just read it, but to learn and to grow in how to read it well, how to understand it, how to interpret it. Because as we do this, and as His ways become more and more clear in our minds, we are going to be more and more able to, to spot those subtleties, to see those differences where it's like, hey, there is, there is some truth in this outlook here, and yet there's also some things here that are not good, that we can't affirm. And as we train our minds through Scripture, we become more unable to do that. Our minds, God uses that to transform us 
so that we are better able to resist uh, conforming to this world. We've seen in these first two verses that we dedicate our lives to God as our minds are renewed, and by God's grace, we express our dedication through our gifts. Look with me in verse 3. There Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Notice how, how Paul, he starts this, this section on how we express our dedication through our gifts. He starts this by addressing our attitudes. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but think of yourself with sober judgment. When he uses that word sober judgment, what, another way of putting this would be basically think of yourself realistically. You know, think of yourself accurately. And this means on the one hand that we actually, some of us might think, oh yeah, I know, well, I'm so bad, I'm just the worst. It actually, actually pushes us away from that. On the one hand, when we think accurately about ourselves, we don't degrade ourselves. We don't degrade ourselves, but at the same time, we don't think too highly of ourselves either. And the reason for this is we don't degrade ourselves because we are, we are beloved children of God who have been rescued by the blood of the Lamb and who have been given gifts to serve His people. And, that, and that, He has bestowed incredible dignity upon us. But on the other hand, we don't think too highly of ourselves either because we know that every gift we have ever been given and all the standing that we have with God is by His mercy. That we didn't do anything to earn that. We don't think too lowly of ourselves, but we don't think too highly of ourselves either and Paul explains how we do this in verse 3. Take a look back there again. He tells us to think with sober judgment, and look at that phrase, in accordance with the measure of faith. When he uses that phrase, measure of faith, he, he's not talking about some individual volume of faith we have, like, oh, Andrew's got 20 ounces, but man, Heather, his wife, she's awesome. She's got 35 ounces of faith. You know, that, that's not what, what he's talking about here. He's talking about more like we're going to take our, our students to King's Dominion this year uh, to the theme park. And if you've been in a theme park, you'll walk up to the rides and there's usually like, like a, a, a ruler there. We're going to be like, hey, here's the height. Here's the standard uh, for getting on this ride. And the standard is the same for everyone. And that's what Paul means when he's talking about the measure of faith. The standard is the same for everyone. We, we are all uh, helped to think about ourselves realistically because the Bible tells us that all of us, are guilty of sin. All of us are in need of a Savior. All of us have been rescued by mercy, and that those who believe in Jesus have been greatly loved by God and are precious to Him. We don't think too high. We don't, we don't think too low either. Um, speaking of youth events, I'm, I'm a youth pastor, and I love it, and um, one thing we do each year is we do a, a youth um, Christmas party, and those are pretty fun because Part of the fun is students will often come wearing like a sweater or they'll come wearing a, like a, some kind of a costume. And probably one of my favorite costumes I've seen thus far is one of our students, their friend, came and they, they came dressed as a, as a Christmas present, which was, you know, very fitting. Um, and so they came dressed as a gift. And if you were to look at the little tag, this, this gift said, to the world. And uh, it, was, it was actually pretty hilarious. And I laughed. I was like, man, that's a fun costume. And that's fun in games and it's cool to laugh at, but... You know, it's not so funny. It's not so funny when that actually reflects what's going on inside of our hearts. At that point, it actually gets pretty ugly. 
And we, we all know what this is like because it's very easy for us to, to look at the kindness that God has shown us, to look at the gifts and the abilities that he's shown us, and begin to get it mixed up in our minds where all that came from. And basically walk around, maybe we don't say it out loud, but in our hearts we say it, and it begins to seep out in subtle ways where we're like, I'm really awesomely gifted, and you are all so welcome. <laughs> that's, that's what happens in our hearts. And y'all, that, that, that happens to me. Pray for my heart. But that that is what he's talking about. That is thinking too highly. That is thinking uh, too highly of ourselves. And so the measure of faith, what God has done for us through Jesus, helps us to think about ourselves realistically. It helps us to think about ourselves realistically so that we recognize that we are greatly loved, we are greatly gifted, and that we have been greatly in need of mercy. Well, Paul continues in verse 3 to show us how to think soberly, how to think realistically about ourselves. Look with me, or excuse me, he continues in verse 4. Look with me there. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. By using this metaphor of the human body, he's saying that in his family, the church, we all need one another. He's saying, it's, it's, which, which actually, by the way, kind of strikes at some of the, the rugged individualism that's pretty common in our own culture. Um, but he's saying that we need one another. Every one of us counts. We all have gifts. Every one of us matters. Um, I, if, I, if I've told you this story before, just, just bear with me. But when I was in college, the, the school I went to, it was very much a STEM school. You know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Uh, those, were, those were like the, the emphases, especially engineering. Now, I want you to hear me say loud and clear, I love the STEM disciplines. I think they're awesome. Science is great. Um, and, and engineering was like, that was like the top, the top tier education to get there, right? So one day, one of, our, one, of my class, or one of my fellow students, their parent came to have lunch with us, and we're sitting in the dining hall all there around the table, and they wanted to know, hey, what's everyone studying? What's everyone's major? So they start going around the table, and it's pretty cool majors people were, were studying, aerospace engineering and physics and mathematics, all wonderful things. And then they get around to me, and I'm like the one non-STEM guy. And, uh, and I'm kind of like, Phew. And uh, so she goes, so, so what are you going to study? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to major in history. There was kind of a pause. <laughs> it actually might not have even been a pause, which might have made it worse. I don't know. But there was, either way, the, the response was they, they just kind of looked at me and they asked, how are you going to help? You can go, oh, no, don't do that. Um, but they're like, how are you going to help? And so being a big, tough college guy, I jumped up from the table, burst into tears, and ran to my room. And um, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. I think I said something like, I'll write about what these guys do, you know, something, something along those lines. But I tell you that story because I wonder how often we look at ourselves that way. I wonder how often we look at one another that way. How could I possibly help? Or how could they, how could he or she ever be of any use to us here. Friends, God will never ask his child that. God never looks at you and says, how are you going to help? Because God has given all of us gifts. Because God treasures and values each one of his family members. And he has given us an incredible role to play in the work that he is doing in the world. Every single one of us matters. And we are all invited to embrace that with humility, but also with, with the great thanksgiving that that brings. 
and to dedicate our lives to the expression of our gifts. And that's how our passage ends this morning, with an examination of those gifts. Look with me back again through verse 6. He begins to lift, list these gifts. There's, there's prophecy, there's service, there's, there's teaching, there's exhortation, and, and so forth. And I just want to note one thing. We're, we're not going to dive into these too deeply. I just want to say a couple things about this list. This list is not exhaustive. This isn't like all the gifts that there are. This is, this is representative because there are different lists in the Bible and they're not all identical. Um, I also imagine that the gift that may have stood out to us in this list is prophecy. Some of us might wonder, well, what, what is this gift of prophecy? Now, there are, there are debates, you know, about, hey, what gifts continue in our day today? What gifts do not? I'm not going to get into that debate, but here's what I'll say. If you'd like to talk more, I'd be happy to do that. But in the meantime, I'll just say this. If you were going to argue that the gift of prophecy is still at play, here's what I would say. There, there would need to be a couple guardrails in place for that if you're, if you're going to make that argument. Uh, argument number one, thing number one would be we have God's full word in the Old and the New Testament. And the giving of that word ended with the, first, with the apostles in the first century. So guardrail number one is if you're arguing for the gift of prophecy, you can't argue that, oh, there's going to be a new fresh word from God. Right? That, that would be outside the bounds of what you could argue. The second thing uh, that would kind of help keep us on the rails would be not only is there not going to be a new word from God, but also with that is the idea that it says, if you look there, it says uh, prophecy in proportion to our faith. He's basically saying, well, whatever someone might, if, this, if you're arguing for this gift, whatever this person is doing, it needs to align with what's already in Scripture. It can't contradict and go against what God is saying. So, so that's what I'll, I'll say about prophecy. Again, um, if you'd like to talk more about that, I would be glad to do so. I also just want to point this out too. We may wonder if some of us are exempt from, look at those gifts. There's the gifts of service. There's a gift of contribution. There's a gift of mercy. Some of us might be like, don't have to serve. Not my gift. <laughs> that would be a poor reading of this passage, okay? Because we all have gifts, and if we're going to use our gifts, we have to serve, Right? And, and I think what you'll find is as we, as we dig into what those gifts mean, there's like unique ways in which people are, are, are positioned and, and equipped to show mercies in particular ways and areas. So this isn't like a, oh, I, I, I'm exempt from participating. Rather, what this list is doing is helping us to recognize what our gifts are, to learn more about what those are. And so as we grow in understanding of those gifts, we're, we're better able to exercise them. We're de- better able to dedicate our lives to God through the expression of those gifts as we understand those gifts better. Um, and so here's, here's what I ask you, Christian, do you know what your gifts are? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I, I didn't realize that I had anything to offer. And now I'm excited to, to see what that might look like. And if that's the case, I'd say, man, talk with your friends, talk with your people who know you well, talk with leaders in the church. We'd be very excited to help you discover that and to grow in what your gifting might look like. And, and if, you, if you already know uh, what your gift is, brothers and sisters, continue using it. Continue exercising those gifts because the truth is we need one another. And that's why God has given them to us so that we can bring him glory and for the good of our world. Well, this has been a rich passage. There is so much more we could say, but I will end with this. All of these truths center on the good news of Jesus. Every single one of these. Through the mercy God has shown us through Jesus' death on the cross, all who trust him have received the greatest gift of all forgiveness of sins, abundant life, restored relationship with God. It is the mercy we have received through Jesus that makes a difference in our lives. So friends, by his grace, let us dedicate our lives to God and express that dedication as we use the gifts he has given us to serve. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good and a loving God 
who has shown us great mercy through your Son and who desires to help then us go and then show and proclaim the good news of your mercy as we use our gifts to serve one another in our world. Father, may that mercy shape us so that it makes a difference in our lives, so that our lives are completely dedicated to you more and more each day. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.